I'm Kevin Sullivan, and it's about time I'm coming to turn chuckle. Ha, 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 turn chuckle. Get it? Ha, 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 ha. You better listen, or I'll knock your door down. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Turnchuckle on bbgwrestling.com. I am Pablo and with me again it is my honour to say that I have one half of one of my favourite tag teams and one of the names who was a big part of the period of wrestling that I love most and a man who I I have promised to send a lot of Terry's chocolate oranges to and I'd better stick to that uh, promise because you don't want to go messing with this country boy. I have with me Mark Canterbury aka Henry Godwin. How are you doing? Good, Pablo. Good to see you again. Good to see you as well. Um, yeah, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the last episode. We darted around quite a lot on uh, subjects, but there's still so much more we can talk about and uh, had lots of good feedback to the uh, the previous episode as well. So again, want to thank you for uh, taking part. Uh, weather looks beautiful where you are. England have just won our game uh, in the Euros. That, that may mean nothing to you. I'm guessing you don't watch soccer much. I don't watch much soccer until it gets down to the finale. See, I'm usually, uh, I'll watch the England games until they're out and then I kind of give up on the whole thing. And I probably shouldn't because there were two great matches yesterday, which, uh, you know, I very much enjoyed. But wrestling is pretty much the thing that I'm, you know, mainly, uh, mainly watched. What other sports do you watch at the moment? Uh, course football. Uh, I like college football uh college basketball hockey some now i know dennis uh dennis knight comes from uh, from a football background so do you have a football background yourself oh yeah yeah i uh i turned down two scholarships to go into the marines when i got out of high school i had one to wvu and one to virginia tech so uh yeah, I had a pretty good, uh, pretty good career in high school. So, at, at what point uh, did the size just come? Did it come out of nowhere, or was it something that you started going to the gym where you kind of like a, like a skinny kid who kind of built up, or was it just natural progression? No, I was that uh, husky kid all the way up through school. <laughs> so, did people rely on you for like fights at school? Were you like the hired bodyguard? <laughs> uh, my friends always kept me close, but I wasn't, I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't a bully. I, I got along with everybody. Uh, Different cool. sizes, shapes, and colors. I, I liked everybody. Yeah. Always good to have in your back pocket, though. You know, um, a giant uh, guy at school to back you up. Um, so... Which area of the country did you... So you grew up in the South? Yeah. So um, were you watching uh, Florida as a kid? Like, when did you first start getting into wrestling? I feel like these are the questions I should have asked you on the first interview, because <laughs> I did say we jump around quite a bit. But what did you watch uh, early on? Uh, I got into wrestling. Um, I grew up in Virginia, West Virginia, in the mountains. Um Actually, my grandfather got me on wrestling when I was four or five years old. Uh, but yeah, I've always liked wrestling. Tried to get into it when I was about 18. Didn't work. So when I was about 22, I met, that's when I told you I met George South, an Italian stallion, and then they trained me. And then the rest, it just took off after that. You know, went to WCW, Dusty hired me, him and Cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, I think we talked about that on the first segment. Yeah, we'll we'll get more into that as well. So, did was amateur wrestling ever a, a something on the card? So, was it you just wanted to go professional? Yeah, yeah. So, what and what were you watching uh, in Virginia? What was the territory there? Let's see, uh, you had. Uh, uh, let's see. 
the Polish Hammer, uh, JYD, uh, Greg Valentine, the Honky Tonk Man, Junkyard Dog. Uh, that whole era was, was my thing. So you actually, um, in the 80s, so you were actually watching WWF as well, so the territories were already starting to go by the wayside at that point. Yeah, uh, of course, we had the old Georgia Championship Wrestling with uh, uh, Gordon Soley was in the announcing. So, like, uh, Wildfire Tommy Rich, Austin Idol. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. I got to interview Austin Idol. He's like the coolest dude you've ever spoken to in your life. Like what, what you see is what you get with Austin. Like there's no fake. I was a <laughs> big fan of Austin Idol, uh, Tommy Rich, of course, Dusty, Kevin Sullivan, Tony Atlas. Yeah. So um, you, I'm sure you know about this. When uh, Vince bought uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling in 84 and the Black Saturday thing happened and they had the WWF shows in Georgia for about five or six months and then he sold it back and then funded WrestleMania with it. Um, I have all those shows. And it's really funny because, you know, the people who were watching it were used to Gordon Soli Wrestling. They weren't used to the WWF and they weren't happy, but when it cut to the break, it would say up next more Georgia championship wrestling. And it would be a picture of Gordon Soli interviewing Ole Anderson. And it was just like, Ooh, rub the salt in the wounds a little bit. More. <laughs> uh, um, so it was kind of like the sort of, uh, I guess the sort of big powerful guys that were influential to you um, early on. The Minnesota wrecking crew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and did Ole, you find- actually, yeah. actually, Ole was uh, an agent in WCW when we got hired down there. So we got to hang out with Ole and sit under the learning tree with him. You know, he worked with us at the school. Uh, we would go down there and meet the new guys and, and train a little bit on our days off, just fool around. But Ole was he was a big help to us in WCW. What would you say that there are um, misconceptions about Ole and uh, Bill Watts? You know, you know, because they were known as sort of they would be angry and shout at you and take no shit, etc. But unless you were willing to learn, I'm guessing, then they would have all the time in the world for you. Right. Just uh, having a good attitude and and wanting to learn. You know, we were young, and so we were we were anxious to get there and. Uh, get some of the older talent you know like hung out with dusty a lot uh dirty dick murdoch uh you know just the oldies man oldies but goodies absolutely and and wcw 92 i mean they they had grown worldwide wcw was shown in this country on free tv which was a huge thing because with wwf at the time you had to pay a subscription like on sky uh, to see it kind of like cable sort of thing. Um, but WCW was shown over here. And when British Bulldog came to WCW, that helped WC- WCW's exposure internationally uh, hugely as well. Um, so, but if you look at WCW in 92, especially with, you know, Jim Ross, Bill Watts, Ole Anderson, Dusty Rhodes being there, very much still a, a Southern feel and I, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all, because it felt more realistic and gritty and everything as well. Um, was it, were you, you know, obviously don't say anything that you don't want to, but were you promised anything going in at that point? Because Bill Watts wasn't really known for, I guess, promising high contracts, except it wasn't the era for that in WCW, I don't think. Yeah, we we signed a contract and we weren't promised nothing. I think the first year we made like 50,000. The next year, I think we made about 70. But uh, it was a little cliquish back then, you know, too. Uh, Of course, your top guys were all getting paid, you know, and that's when we were hanging out with Aaron Anderson. And Aaron said, you know, you guys are too good at making everybody else look good. You need to start taking more and doing this and that. And 
uh, we hung around Arn and Barry Windham and Pee Wee, the ref, Pee Wee. Yeah, Pee Wee Anderson. Yeah. That was our core little group there for a while. And uh, Barry Windham sort of took us under his wing. And so it was, it was a good time to go into the business and it was the right place, I think. It was a learning experience. We enjoyed ourselves, but uh, the promotion came when we went to WWF. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so you you touched upon this uh, just now, uh, being bigger guys, but who could move, uh, you and Dennis, and you made a lot of smaller guys look, you know, maybe even better than they were in some sense because you could take the the backdrops and the hip tosses, etc. And you know, was that a a symptom of coming from Memphis and wrestling guys like Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett, the smaller guys and making them look better as well. Was that kind of instilled in you to sort of not almost be presented as a big guy and, you know? Yeah, because, well, I don't know because I didn't, I never worked in Memphis. You know, uh, Oh, were you not in USWA? Uh, Dennis was. No, Dennis was. Oh, okay. My bad. That's yeah. my bad. Okay. You know, uh, I, I, when I worked for George and Stallion, you know, they brought in like, uh, uh, Ronnie Garvin, um, the Russian bear, Ivan Koloff. I got, you know, I got to work with these guys before I ever got my break, you know, big break. So yeah, we used to have some good shows, you know, uh, over here on the East coast. Uh, it was good in Virginia, North Carolina, West Virginia, Tennessee. But yeah, I learned a lot in them two years working with George and Stal, and then started going to, you know, WCW and do, being an extra. So, and then finally we got our break, and they brought uh, Dennis in and put us together, and it was a pretty good time. Absolutely. So when you were working, when you first went to WCW, what you weren't wearing a mask immediately, I'm guessing, when you were working as an extra at the time. No, no. And then they give me a little bit of time off and just a little bit yeah. to stay away from TV. And then put the mask on me, the hood and brought Dennis in. And that's when I was telling you that Dusty said, uh, Dennis was mean and ugly looking and I had a baby face. So that's why Dusty put the mask on me. And it's longevity as well, though, because when you do eventually get the mask taken off, you don't even have to be referenced as Shanghai Pierce. Um, you know, you could be a whole new, whole new character uh, at that point. So was that the first time that you met Dennis when he got brought in? The first night was in uh, a Georgia TV and uh, he, they had flew him up to meet me and we met that night and it was a good relationship still is. We've yeah. never had one crossword with each other in since '92. Wow, and and doesn't that just speak to what a Booker Dusty was as well? Knowing who to put together as a team, like people who would work well together and hit it off immediately as well. Because I'd imagine once you became a team, you were a team everywhere, sort of off the road as well. Like book hotels together, travel together. Would that be correct? Yeah, we. Like to this day, if we do sign it, when we do these signings, if the promoter is going to get us two rooms, we'll say, nah, save your money. Just get one, get two double beds. <laughs> <laughs> See, so since Dennis isn't here, what's his worst habit in the hotel room? <laughs> what's his worst habit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably getting high and watching <laughs> movies i said his worst habit i thought you meant like farting wow. or not. <laughs> why, why i go to the gym oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so did you uh take part in the international tours with wcw um because the, there was the big one in 93 where uh you know you know the story with sid and on and the scissors and everything were you were you there for that I was there that night. Oh, I was there. Uh, yeah. 
I didn't go on too many international tours with WCW. I think that may have been the only one I was on. Uh, but when I got to WWF, it was, uh, I was everywhere. You were everywhere. And, and the thing is, like, you may not realize how big of a, oh, you may realize how big of a news story the, the Sid on thing was in this country. It was in national newspapers and everything because, you know, guys like Sting and British Bulldog were on TV crazy. everywhere to promote that tour as well. So it was, it was a pretty big deal. And, you know, would you, were you shocked at how receptive the British fans were when you went there in 93 with WCW? Because, you know, I'm guessing that was your first time internationally. Yeah, it was. It was first time. It, it was a little scary, a little overwhelming, but once I got there and, and got you, it was, I had a great, I've always had a great time in Germany, England, uh, you know, I've been, I think, five Germany tours and six England tours, and I've enjoyed every one of them. When you uh, put the mask on, was it your first time ever in a mask? And did you immediately have to, you know, on the fly, work differently to emote and express to an audience? No, it actually, when I put the when I put the hood on, it was actually like I was, I felt more confident and I could give people shit and I didn't care what they thought about, me. you know, that's just, so, uh, but I, you know, my, my hood, it wasn't the full, it had, I had the mouth open. Yeah. The mouthpiece. So it helped me breathe because when I was working for George and Stal, I was the Russian assassin had the full mask and all that. So I've worked a lot of gimmicks, but, uh, to wear it every night, I was glad I went with the mouthless one. So it just helps you breathe better. But mm. uh, what was the worst uh, threat that you got from a fan? Uh, did you have like old grannies trying to hit you with an umbrella, or since you said grannies and umbrella, how about grannies and a cane in Shreveport, <laughs> Louisiana? We were actually beating up. I think Bobby Eaton. And Arn did a run-in, and when we jumped out, the old lady hit me in the back of the head with a cane. Oh, okay. Yeah, that can't have been fun. Because <laughs> uh, that's the thing as well with the hood. You, um, I'm guessing, was your vision, uh, was it cut off in any way, or did you have full peripheral vision? You, you broke up there a little bit. I okay. didn't catch the question. Um, with attacks from fans and everything, you know, you had the hood on. Uh, did it? Did wearing the hood affect your vision at all? No, my head was on a swivel the whole time, and still <laughs> is to this day. <laughs> you still got heat with people. <laughs> I did. I tell you, some of the threats we got, some of the threats we got uh, when we slopped Sunny. Me and Phineas was getting death threats. Oh, really? That's how big she was, too. Yeah, yeah. and Sonny was a heel, but she was getting some of the loudest reactions of the night, but it's easy to see why, I guess. <laughs> you know, we yeah. we just we just did a show where we uh, talked about uh, King of the Ring 96, where you guys faced the smoking guns. And uh, Alex, my... Uh, uh, my co-host pointed out that Sonny always knew to sort of lean over the apron with everything you know on show <laughs> like she knew how to work the cameras and she really knew how to work the audience as well <laughs> so yeah. with with the WCW she even knew how to work the boy <laughs> <laughs> yep well we've heard the stories yeah <laughs> um so with the WCW run, did it have a, did it have a ceiling on it uh, as far as you were concerned? Or did you feel that there was more that you could have done? Uh, I think we could have done more if we would have had a little bit more of opportunity. Uh, you know, I, when Flair, Flair had retired and when he come back, he brought some of his buddies back and 
that's when I was telling you they let me and Hunter and Phineas go, and I think a couple other younger guys. But, uh, you know, I guess it was time to move on. We'd been there two, you know, I'd been there about three years, two years under contract. But I think we had, uh, it was time to go. And I'm, and I'm glad we did because, you know, with WWF waiting in the wings, it was a much better opportunity for us. Yeah, it definitely led to uh, bigger and better things. I mean, did you, you know, obviously Flair came back and everything, but were you, and apologies, because like I get always get my dates mixed up. Were you still around when Hogan uh, was being talked about coming in? And then obviously Hogan brought a lot of his, old WWF friends in as well. So you could feel the change in the tide sort of thing. I, I met Hogan one time, maybe twice. We were doing the TVs at Disney in Florida. With the spinning ring. And he had showed up. Yeah, he had yeah. showed up to one of them. And uh, then we had heard he was going to be coming down. But by then... We had already heard we were getting let go, probably. So we were around about two weeks and he came in and then we left. And of course I went to I went on up to WBF and then texts come up a year later. They probably had to fire ten people just to justify Hogan's salary, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so when um when you worked at uh, Disney you know because for wcw that's a whole different look as well like a real it's studio wrestling almost but really flashy yeah. and uh something for uh for tourists etc so did you at that point feel that wcw was starting to make moves to become a more you know national and international looking company instead of having that sort of gritty southern feel like did you feel the change yeah. Yeah, you could feel that they were, I don't know, necessarily try to improve, but get bigger and get more national attention. And it was a good setup there at Disney. Uh, they always they always packed it in there. Uh, hmm. I enjoyed it. We had a good time down there. And yeah, that's what? and Chris and Benoit had just I think started. Of course, Chris lived with me in Tex for about a month he stayed with us for a little while uh yeah it was a good time so at, at that point was um you know chris kind of because he was obviously he had wrestled for a few years at that point but i'm guessing he was anxious to you know get given that opportunity at that point because it would still be even though he went to wcw early on it was still a little while because he even went to wwf for in late 95 and was managed by teddy biasi for like one or two matches and it kind of didn't work out. And then he went to ECW after that. Um, so you yeah. could tell that he was obviously at that point going to be something. But I mean, it did, generally, did you feel it was still the, the era of the big man? Or did you feel that there was also a change happening in that respect as well, that the smaller athletes were making a name for themselves? Yeah, I think that was a change. Yeah, yeah it definitely was. Uh the there were smaller guys that were making a lot of noise and chris was one of them he was a great guy hell of a worker um but that yeah it was it was sort of a change in things then hmm. so who spots you in wcw or was it someone who already worked in wwf who got in vince's ear or did you contact them or uh when I got let go, Harley Race and Kevin Nash spoke for me in to W to Vince, reached and JJ Dillon. So uh I guess I was off about three or four weeks from WCW and I got a call from you know Vince's office and they said they wanted me to fly up and meet with Vince and JJ and uh, it was an exciting time to, to go up there and meet them and sit in the office for about two hours. Vince's little 
secret office and just start coming up with ideas. And when I left there, I felt very confident and secure with a job. And so it was all good. Were you all suited up? Did you have a full uh, three-piece suit on for that meeting? Have a what? Did you have a full suit on for that meeting? Because I can't imagine you in a suit, except for Southern Justice, to be yeah. fair. Uh, <laughs> no suit. No suit. Just a nice shirt, nice slacks. That was it. Uh, and the, the thing is as well, I mean, Diesel, Kevin Nash is certainly on his way to becoming world champion at that point. And Harley Race, um, you know, was still potentially i think he was still at wcw at that point if not he had just left um because he was managing vader and luger and everything so it doesn't get much more i guess respected in terms of names for references at that point i guess i thought well you know when i back to harley when i think i told you this uh when i went down and worked eric watts you know i thought i was just going down for the night to George, to Atlanta, doing TV and coming home. Well, after the match, you know, one of the refs come up, I forget who it was, and said, you know, uh, Mr. Watts wants to talk to you and Dusty. And they said, uh, hey, would you, would you want to go on the road sometime and, you know, maybe work a little thing with Eric? And I said, yeah, you know, when? And they go, uh, tonight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was gathering up clothes and, uh, Arn, give me some clothes. And but then that first night, they I think I told you they put yeah. me in the car with Harley Race, Hercules Hernandez, and Barbarian. Me and Barbarian was in the back. So yeah, I had a little history with Harley. So I, I felt confident, you know, I'd been around him enough that he knew me and he, you know, if he wanted to give me a good word, he would. Mm. Oh, well, it doesn't get much better than that. You know, word of uh, praise from Harley Race. Um, and and Hercules was doing his Super Invader thing at that point, I think, uh, with the mask yeah. and the glove and the... <laughs> How did yeah. he feel about that at the time? Was he kind of like, oh, God. Or, or did he just want to be Hercules at that point? I think he just wanted to be Hercules yeah. at that point. I, yeah, it was a little different for him. It was. I always find it funny when you put like a kung fu gimmick on someone who does not know anything about kung fu, and you have to pretend that they're from Japan as well, and their skin tone does not look like they're from Japan. <laughs> uh, so, um, so you worked with Eric Watts, who you would later because I've got a there's a centerfold in the WWF magazine of yourself doing a slop drop on Eric Watts um, when he was Techno Team 2000. Uh, so, <laughs> so. Um, Eric, what was he like to work with? Because I think he gets a bad rap in terms of being, you know, the promoter's son, the booker's son. He wasn't necessarily ready for that spot. Like, what was he like? Eric's an awesome guy. I was with him, I think, a couple of years ago at a at a signing, and you know, we got to reun reunite and hang out. But uh, I think he was overwhelmed, maybe. You know, he should have took it a little slower, but they just sort of boom, put him in there. But I'm glad they did because me and him had a hell of a match on uh, TV. And uh, that's what got me noticed. So I'll take it. And I like Eric. Yeah. And, and I guess as well, uh, you know, being in there with the, the promoter's son and having a good match with him as well can't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it paid off. <laughs> um, so when you went to WWF, did you you had uh, did you have dark matches before the Henry Godwin character? Were you wrestling as Mark Canterbury or as anything else? Or no, just you know, I'd go down there as extra and wrestle as mean Mark Canterbury, and mm. then, like I said, you know, they gave me a little bit of time off after I found out I was going to get a job, and and then cut brought me back and put the hood on so so but um, for uh for wwf in terms of any dark matches was it still just out of the shoot there's henry godwin or were there any um or were you talking about wwf there sorry that's my bad 
Yeah. Uh, when I, yeah, they just threw me in the mix. You know, I went and got my overalls and my boots and uh, just threw me right in there. Wow. So um, in terms of like the, the character development, so, did, in, you know, because you were, there's lots of early promo shots, et cetera. And, uh, you know, they, they give you the, the early music with the Sui and the banjo and everything. Did you, um, who, were you involved in the process of that? Did you actually record those uh, hog calls or was that someone else who did that? That was, that was my recording. And uh, we did some of that in a hallway at a building. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> It was quite a Pat Patterson uh, was well Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I mean, just a little thing because uh, some of the early earliest photographs of Henry Godwin, he's wearing white shirt under the overall, but you settled with the yellow. Was that kind of a was there a reason behind that? Because that kind of stuff always fascinates me. Like, yeah, I just with the white shirt. They wanted me to look grungy, so me and Pat was uh, outside rubbing. Like he took, we took my shirt and rubbed it on the ground, and Pat took some dirt and rubbed on the back, and so that was how the white shirt come about. But I, I just said I'm gonna change it up a little, you know. And I went to the yellow, and I just started wearing the yellow. I wore that the whole time until they put us in the Confederate shirts. Yeah, it, and I think there's one thing that WWF did better than anyone and still does now, they know how to utilize colors on ring gear and make them pop and know what will market well towards like a certain audience and stuff like that. And I think the yellow looked more visual on TV, I think, and was probably the better choice. Yeah, just brought a little color to it. And uh, I always get some of my friends, like their kids will say, oh, they think you look like, what's the little manny, mans? <laughs> <Your mini. laughs> so I get a lot of them pictures of them little cartoon characters with the yellow shirt and the overalls on. They got your trendsetter, you see. Um, <laughs> so your first event as well was Royal Rumble in, uh, in 1995. Um, and two people who were there that night who I'm hugely interested to get your opinion on and whether you interacted with them at all was Pamela Anderson and Dick Murdoch. Um, <laughs> did you run into any of uh, those two when you were... You were in the ring with, uh, with Dick in that rumble. We hung out with them a lot in Atlanta. Uh, cause him and him and Dusty were like this. Of course, yeah. They were like not butter and jelly. So me and Tex hung around them a lot, and he was he was a treat. He was funny as hell, and uh, we did a, that. I think it was uh, King of the Ring or something. He did a head scissors on me and tried to flip me over the rope. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Um, I think. Yeah, that was that was the rumble that year in, in Florida at the at the Sundome, and you came down to the final four as well. So was that kind of uh, you know we want to start the you know the Henry Godwin character off strong and you know make it look like he could be a potential winner sort of thing. Um, did that come as a surprise to you that you lasted that were asked to last that long in the Royal Rumble? Yeah, it it was, and it was. You know, I I think I did pretty good and stepped up, but I felt good after that because they started doing more with me. You know, of course, me and Triple H had the hog pin match that whole era. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I liked it. And, and and you didn't get you didn't hang out with Pamela Anderson that night. I got to meet Pamela real quick because I give her a uh, piggy bank. You did give her a piggy bank. There's a there's a bit backstage where she's talking about all of the uh, presents that she got given, and there was a. a... <laughs> got me a piggy bank. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. That's amazing. Um, so you were, you know, there were a lot of celebrities coming in at that point as well. Obviously, for WrestleMania with Lawrence Taylor and uh, Steve McMichael and uh, everyone else as well. So. Um, were there any celebrities that you were kind of excited to meet and maybe even a little starstruck by? And who were the real 
dickhead celebrities. I think you can drop some names. Like, who were really awful people? <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> Pamela was okay. Uh, like, uh, Lawrence Taylor, the whole football, those guys were fun. We had a good – because I was actually involved a little bit in that mm. uh, on the heel side, on Bam Bam's side. Yeah, so the, the um, I can imagine as well that they – I mean, as as Steve McMichael showed, like he took to wrestling and loved it. And, uh, you know, it's a – he fit in well in WCW as that kind of like real sports jock type for the horseman sort of thing. And uh, he had the charisma as well and uh, really fit in well. Whereas I can imagine some of the celebrities who showed up weren't probably that uh, <laughs> thrilled about being involved in wrestling. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I can't imagine, was a big wrestling fan for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it, between then and you turning uh, face later on in the year, you were working with the Million Dollar Team quite a lot, and it looked like you were going to be managed by Teddy Biotti. They were kind of teasing that. Um, so you had the match. Well, you were there. You had the match uh, in your house with Bam Bam Bigelow in uh, in in Memphis uh, the night that Jarrett left the company um, after singing "With My Baby Tonight." Yeah. So, so, were you there for any of that? Did you see any of that kick off? Did they just open lane? I don't. I think I was. I can't remember a whole lot about that. Mm. To be honest. Well, the, the the kind of uh, the, I think the story that's been told is that it it wasn't like there was a big scene or anything. They just did the match, did the honors, and then were out the door pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can't imagine that Vince was entirely happy about that. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you worked with Bam Bam uh, that night, but did you sort of, because he was the main nemesis of the Million Dollar Team at that point. Uh, so did you work with Bam Bam a lot around the house shows? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, uh, I know on TV, the the stable his stable was beating me up, you know, uh, DiBiase's crew. And then Bam Bam came out and did a run in and did a save, save me. Hmm. So. What was that kind of out of nowhere when you found out you were going to be turned face? Cause it, it felt like it was being teased for a while, but it still felt kind of weird. Cause you know, you were, you know, kind of uh, on the rise as a top heel. You were having matches against Diesel on TV and stuff like that while he was champion. So was that kind of a... Did you feel it put stopped any momentum that you had at that point and you weren't sure what was going to happen? Because I worked Undertaker and Kevin pretty close back-to-back. And we got good feedback. Undertaker said, me and you were going to work some more together. And I had just really met him. He, go, he thanked me and said, we're going to work together some more. So, and Kevin, you know, we had worked with Kevin before, and I enjoyed working both of them guys. Uh, would you say that, um, you know, because the, the click were kind of outspoken and had wrestlers that they liked to work with, wrestlers that they didn't like to work with, but there was no friction at all between yourself and Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash, obviously? No. Hell, I stayed at me and... Phineas stayed at Sean's house in San Antonio. We spent the weekend with Sean and we've stayed at Undertaker's house. You know, we've room, I've roomed with Kevin and Hunter. We've all hung out together. There's never been any friction between any of us. Do, do you think too much was made of the, the political scene in 95 with the click and everything? Do you think all of that is just a bit overblown by certain wrestlers? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, they were more outspoken where the BSK was sort of chilled and laid back. They were loud and, you know, ready to go. Was, that, was 95 kind of the genesis of uh, BSK then? Yeah. So when it all started. 
So what kind of happened with that? Did someone did undertake a, a mark sort of W all BSK? Because I know the hats were given out and, uh, you know, you guys even wore them to the ring sometimes as well. Um, was there a, like a, a genesis of that? Or was it just one drunken night when you were like, we are BSK? <laughs> it was uh, one night we had went out. You know, we used to play... Uh, dominoes a lot i'm gonna have to fix my phone here i'll cut this bit out <laughs> can you give me one sec yeah no problem okay good yeah so um what was the uh you know because bone street crew obviously bones referring to dominoes and i'm guessing it was a one late night of lots of jack daniels and uh, a few games of dominoes is that how it all kind of started we were at a bar and we walked in and yoko said bsk bitches we're here and that's how it all started <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing as well with someone because you are a huge man but you could i guess kind of be incognito a little bit if you wanted to but someone like yokozuna could not hide at all so was he kind of um i guess like the andre the giant thing of just like well i'm just gonna have a good time and just screw it because you know it's not like i can be hidden anywhere right yeah he was uh, he was such a great guy and such a good friend, but he was very confident and he didn't, he didn't give a shit what people thought or what they would think or anything. So Yoko, he was true to the crew. I miss him. Yeah. For, for me in my lifetime, probably, um, you know, and this is just talking about my sort of lifetime as a fan, the greatest heel champion that I you know, uh, watched and was a fan of and everything. Because he, when you were a kid as well, especially pre-internet and uh, when there's only one TV show per week, it felt like Yoko was champion forever. But it, it was so good because, you know, it, it really built them up. And when Brett beat Yokozuna at WrestleMania, for me, that is still the greatest title change of all time because Yoko finally got his comeuppance. But it wasn't exactly a clean finish because he kind of he'd already been knocked out by Luger that night so he had you know he was dizzy and he was you know uh, out of it and then he fell off the ropes accidentally and a breath rolled him up and it was kind of a fluke win but ah oh, like I'll I'll rave about that win forever and Yoko it, it, what is forgotten as well I mean besides his athleticism for me it are his facial expressions like he really knew even though he's huge to sort of be a chicken when the undertaker's threatening him with the coffin. And, you know, when, uh, when he loses a match, he can act shocked or he can act angry and just, he's, he was so versatile. Um, and I think those are the things that are still sometimes, you know, forgotten about how great he really was in the ring. Yeah. He was very, uh, athletic for his size yeah. and i remember one of the best times i had me and him worked each other in india on an outside show with about 150,000 people at the outdoor gandhi arena and we just had it was dark as hell you couldn't see hardly anybody except around the ring but there was people everywhere so they had four floodlights in each corner, not real high, just, and there was bugs flying around that we had never seen before. Uh -huh. And he was flipping out. He was scared. Literally, he was, he said, what? 
<clears throat> but me and him worked each other that night. And I remember we were having fun, but uh, <laughs> I shot him off and give him a clothesline. And he took one of those big Yoko bumps. And then I covered him. He goes, damn, what do I owe you money? So I always remember that spot and the bugs that were flying around. He was selling the bugs. And I was getting ready to because they were wicked looking. But we had a great time over there. Uh, yeah, there's... Um... Kevin Nash tells us, I mean, it's just a small story, but he said that he would sit down with Yoko. And I mean, Nash is seven foot. Yoko is maybe six two, six three. But when Yoko sat down, because his ass is so big, he would tower above Nash because <laughs> he was like just the way he was built. And you wouldn't expect it. But yeah. I, um, I can imagine just, I mean, he always, because he wrestled in England as well. And unfortunately, that's where he passed away. But he was in... 2000 in England, he was just such a huge star, and he was still, even though he wasn't working with WWF at that point, he was still on national TV shows promoting the tour that was coming up. And uh, yeah, he left a huge impression on anyone who got to see him live, uh, which I was lucky enough to as well. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing as well that he was sorely missed at last year's Survivor Series when uh, Mark, when Undertaker retired. I'm guessing he was the main topic yeah. of conversation. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Great family. I think I told you this before. I got to spend a lot of weekends off probably four or five different times in California with, at his house. So I knew his kids when they were just nine, 10 years old. And uh, when Yoko passed, I was actually sitting at home with the broken neck. So I couldn't go. But I hate that I missed being able to go out and, you know, be there. Mm. So it was, because um, obviously you kept in touch with with everyone, but was was Survivor Series the first time that you were all together for, you know, for a few years at that point? Yeah, it had been like 20, 20 plus years since the whole BSK had been together and uh, we definitely made up for it. <laughs> we, uh, the, the manager told us the next day that we went through four bottles of Jack and about a hundred beer. So we had a video of them trying to get me and Phineas up to our hotel room, but uh, yeah, Undertaker and Godfather had to put us to bed. Amazing. That must have felt like old times. Was that kind of the the deal back then as well? To just get, you know, did they, they have to carry you up and put you to bed? <laughs> well, back then we had to sort of keep an eye on each other. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting night. It was great because, like I said that night, I'd take a bullet for them boys. So yeah, we were a close knit group, a bunch of big oversized kids what we were yeah and and, um you know that was certainly the reason why i tuned in to survive because i'll i'll admit i don't watch too much new wrestling but i kind of watch old stuff all the time um yeah and you know the bsk reunion was a huge selling point almost as much as it being the undertaker's final appearance you know knowing that you were going to be there and savio was going to be there and dennis that was a really cool thing to see um we what i love though is that you were the only guys in character <laughs> yeah we brought i bought some nice clothes you know we were all sort of <laughs> like some dark dress clothes for undertaker you know uh. Well, I went and spent some money on jeans and a shirt and get down there. And like three hours before we go live, one of the little kids in the, one of the suits, young suits comes up to us and says, Hey, Vince wants to know if you brought your gear. No. Uh, he said, well, Vince wants you to wear overalls. So we're going to send somebody out. And this is like in Orlando you know, hopefully you can find overalls in Orlando. So uh, they went, they just looked at us and guessed, and I'd be damned if mine didn't fit pretty good when they brought them back. So how was Dennis's? Was, 
Yeah, did Dennis's fit okay? Yeah, it fit pretty good. And the thing is, though, like to me, you look like you haven't changed body-wise. Like, are you the same sort of size and weight as you were back then? Um, fifty pounds lighter, but I'm in I'm in good shape now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was it was it brought back some good memories and seeing everybody and just that shot of all those guys in the ring that night. You know, Big Show and Flair and. Mankind and Hardy and uh, Sean, so and but it, and the whole and BSK was all there, so it was nice. Yeah, and I'm guessing that leaves the door open for you guys to continue a relationship with WWE. Not that it ever really ended, I'm guessing, but like in terms of, you know. It, if you can't tell me, then fair enough. But has a legend like deal been suggested and stuff? Because I want a Henry Godwin action figure on my shelf. It's, I think it's been talked about, and uh, you know, I I got when I started in '94 as Henry Godwin. I don't know if I told you this. I went to Walmart and bought just some far work boots. And I still have them to this day. That's the ones I still wear. That's the ones that made it through the hog pen match. And, you know, I wore shit off of them for two days. I threw everything else away except my boots. So I contacted the office. I'm trying to get Hunter to sign the boots. And I'm going to sign the boots. And then we'll see what happens from there. That would be Either I'd like to have them for my person. Or, you know, maybe we donate them or put them in a museum or something yeah and and also i want to see the godwins back on trading cards and uh on merchandise again because uh you know i have all the godwins stuff i have the uh i'll I'll have to show you at some point you've probably seen it did you keep a lot of your merchandise so was that not really a thing that bothered you too much i kept more personal stuff like i have a couple of uh the figurines put up uh, the ones with the Confederate shirts and then the ones of me and Phineas. I think he has a red shirt on. I have the yellow shirt on. The first ones that come out, the double pack. Yeah. But I've kept uh, like my last pair of overalls that I wore with, you know, up in WWE before we went to Southern Justice. I just contacted a guy. He's in Minnesota that wants to put them on and see what, you know, auction them off. So I've kept a lot of stuff like that. And like uh, WrestleMania 13, I'm, I'm curious to see how many of the boys still have the shirts. Vince gave us all one shirt that night. Mine. It has the name. Yeah. It has your name on the back, doesn't it? Yeah. It has hog on the H O G on the back and I still got it. So. Oh, that's cool. it's in a it's in a shadow box right now on the wall, but who knows? Maybe I'll let it go one day. You know. <laughs> well, the only reason I know about those is because Barry Horowitz has one, and I think he auctioned his off as well. Um, but that's really cool because the it wasn't like just a shirt; it was the full. Jer- it was like a jersey, wasn't it? I think, like kind of like a football like a jersey. Black, black jersey with the WrestleMania the fire. It says WrestleMania 13, then it had our names on the back. Uh, very cool. Very cool. So in terms of, um, you know, with WWF, they do a lot of outside the ring stuff like Make-A-Wish. And, uh, you know, you guys were there when they did the softball game before WrestleMania 12. Uh, were there any things like that that you particularly remembered uh, doing? Uh, just we did a lot of stuff with the Make-A-Wish and... Like we, I know we would go to hospitals and visit kids. We did that in India. They took us to a hospital in India. And I enjoyed doing that stuff because, I mean, if you can put a smile on somebody's face for a little bit, it makes you feel better. Yeah. And the the Godwins put smiles on my face quite a lot as well. And I mean, I, I don't feel that I take for granted that I get to chat with guys like yourself who meant a lot to my childhood and I will still watch you guys. Now I have a, have you seen the Godwin's tattoo that exists? No. 
<laughs> well, when they did the, the videos, uh, the video releases, they made a set of tattoos, and there's uh, Sonny, I think there's Bret Hart, there's Undertaker, and then there's you two with Hillbilly Jim as a tattoo as well. I'll have to show you that one. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I'm well, not- I may have just for now. Well, yeah, again, it was quite a long time. And it probably, you know, I may be too much of a nerd if I've got 25-year-old tattoos that I haven't uh, done anything with. Maybe I should wear it at some point. <laughs> yeah. If you do wear it, take a picture and send it to me. Yes, I will. Absolutely will. Well, um, and, and we barely talked about Southern Justice as well. I mean, was that another thing of you went out to get your own clubs? Because you look like snooker players um, with... <laughs> With the vests and the the pants and everything, um, was that kind of a we, you were left to your own devices for? Yeah, we just went out and bought some cool stuff uh, that looked good. You know, it was dark and uh, we had the vest, no shirts underneath. We'd work in just the vest, and uh, that was really going to be something fun. I think the Southern Justice, but you know, I was wrestling men with a broken. I had a broken neck then. Yeah. And we were supposed to get, I think it was in September 98. We, my last match was against uh, Road Dog and Badass Billy Gunn. And we were supposed to get the belts from them that night. And I told him, I said, I, you know, Vincent had a trainer with me working on me for seven weeks and it wasn't getting no better. So he said, well, why don't you go home and go get MRI? So the next day I flew home and then I had my spinal fusion done and then they let me go. And, uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. I I just had to make the best of it. So something that a lot of people may not know about is that in 2006, uh, you went to one of WWE's development territories. Not that you needed any training or anything like that, but uh, you were there to team up with Terry Gordy's son, uh, Ray Gordy, for in uh, Deep South. So you were in the WWF when Terry was there as the executioner. Um, but did you maintain a relationship? Was that a reason why you were put with uh, with a son at that point? No. They just, uh, they'd come up with that, that they had uh, brought Terry's son in and they were looking to do something with him. And then I come back. And so they put us together for a little while. But yeah, some issues there, why it didn't work. And I won't go into it, but. Yeah. Were there any plans for it to be an extended Godwin family at that point then? No, I think they were just trying to get me back and and find me somebody who could, you know, we could mesh together good. But yeah, I don't think it it just wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And and were you wrestling much at that point post your post nineteen ninety eight after the broken neck? I'm guessing because you have wrestled more matches since then, but I'm guessing not too many. Yeah, we did some house shows together. And, you know, of course, I was doing some independent stuff. So it, it was all right, but uh, it just wasn't the same. You know, it, the, the Godwin thing just didn't take off after that. Mm. And, and, and one thing that I'd, I completely forgot about, because you told me that you were, uh, you know, you had a farm and everything even before you became Henry Godwin. In one of the magazines, you may remember when they did a, can you guess who this is? And it was you sort of maybe as a teenager or early 20s and you were slopping the hogs even back yeah. then. Um, so how does that work? Do they come to you asking for an old photograph for them to put in the magazine and then you just find something that isn't too embarrassing, I guess? <laughs> you know, I don't, I've, I forget where I got that, where that picture come from. But yeah, they had asked for a picture, I think. And uh, of course, they got a lot of my pictures. They got stuff I don't even have, I think. See, that's the thing when you, you, I think you're within your rights to say, I want some pictures for the wall or some of my merchandise. They must have just a warehouse with all this merchandise that, you know, I think that, you know, the Godwin's foam finger and stuff like that. I think you should give, next time you're on the phone to to Paul, I think you should ask him for some of that stuff back. Yeah, I'd love to have some of that stuff. (laughs) 
Um, I'm going to have to... Re- and the thing is as well, because you probably haven't seen your face in some of these European programs, etc. And, you know, I'll have to show you some of that stuff and, uh, yeah. and uh, jog your memory as well. Because, um, you know, I think I showed you the picture not long ago when you were... Was it you wearing Golda's wig? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... So that was, um, I'm guessing a lot of people had fun with that wig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looked like yeah. a dead, yeah, it looked like a dead animal probably lying about. Like. Yeah. It smelled great. <laughs> <laughs> so when Jake came back with the snake, did he try and pull any ribs on people with that snake? Or? Uh, no, not really. Hmm. No. In WCW, he did. Oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, go on. Have you <laughs> anything you can tell legally? <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. The Steiners were in the sh- in the locker room getting ready to shower. Jake turns the light off and throws the snake in there. Shuts the door. You never heard such a damn racket. Oh, I bet. Did, did, did the Steiners had their dog at that point as well, Arnold? Did you get yeah. to, did you get to meet Arnold? Arnold was a working dog by the, from what I've heard that he knew how to you know yeah wouldn't just attack people I guess but um I've a few times <laughs> and what I remember as well is the uh the Royal Rumble where Jake returned in 96 you were in the ring when he first threw the snake in the ring as well so I'm guessing you have no problems with snakes nah as long as I can see him <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can totally understand that. Um, well, look, uh, I would love, let's give Dennis a kick up the bum and uh, get him involved at some point. Um, I'll put a foot in his ass next time and we'll get this done. <laughs> See, I didn't want to say that. You know, I was trying to be polite and British and everything. You know? I'll um, say Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's so many more stories as well. But look, I want to thank you because you've given me so much of your time and uh, patience as well because of my uh, terrible internet connection and uh, time differences and stuff like that. I don't dad, so. <laughs> well, um, usually when I interview American wrestlers, they do it at three, eight, three o'clock in the morning, my time. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, I want to thank you for accommodating me. I'll, I'll tell you this because it's quite funny. Like Sid, uh, I, I was lucky enough to interview him and he does not do many interviews. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> I don't think he, I think his reputations, you know, precedes him at this point, but I would call him at like three o'clock in the morning, my time, because he told me to, and he was like, oh yeah, I'm going out, sorry, <laughs> call me back next Tuesday at five o'clock in the morning. He's <laughs> full of it. But that's the thing, I wasn't prepared to let that go, and then eventually uh, he let me, uh, he let me interview him, so uh, yeah, and that reminds me of that match you had in your house when you dumped the slop over DBRC and he has the twig sticking out of his head. <laughs> I also slop Sid too. You did slop Sid. Who didn't like being? I'm guessing no one liked being slopped, particularly. Uh, not really. Yeah, I got Jim Cornette got slopped once. So, <laughs> did you ever get Vince? No, but that that <laughs> that's not. Hey, no pun intended, but that's on my bucket list. <laughs> See that Roy Rumble as well when your Jerry Lawler Hunter and um, Bob Backlund are outside the ring and you just drop the slop on them. It only hits Lawler. Was that on purpose? Pretty much. <laughs> and it was really funny as well because the floor's then slippy and you see the referees just landing on their ass and everything. <laughs> me, and, me and Triple H have busted our ass numerous times on the mats with that slop on it. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, well one last really important question before you go. Uh, what did you think of Naked Midian? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah, he's able fire me. <laughs> from what uh, I think it was Foley who said that it was a curtain sellout when they knew that Naked Minion was gonna. Um, yeah. Apparently, Undertaker goes up to Mick and he's like, "Have you heard of uh, of Dennis's new gimmick?" And he's like, "No, was it Naked Midian? <laughs> just the whole crowd are just by. <laughs> That's scary. so much stuff I've got to ask about Naked Midian when I get the chance. <laughs> there are so many questions. <laughs> um, we'll do this again and we'll get his ass in gear. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, just before we go, what would you like to say to the fans, especially in the UK? Because that's obviously our biggest uh, audience as well. So is there anything that you'd like to say? I would just like to thank everybody over there. We always had a good time. People were good to us. I like the food. I like the people, the atmosphere. Uh, a lot of good memories. Who knows? Maybe I'll make it back over there one day. I mean, you'll hang out. I very much hope so. And uh, certainly, and not the last match from Henry Godwin either. Um, if the retirement match is in the cards. Yeah. So, yeah, great stuff. Well, look, I want to thank everyone for uh, tuning in. And uh, most of all, I want to thank uh, Mark Antbury, uh, Henry O. Godwin. They all did stand for something. Now, O stood for O-P-H-E-R-U-S, Ophrus? Orpheus. Orpheus. It was uh, it was Vince's grandfather's middle name or something like that. It was in Vin- it was in the McMahon family. He gave me the name. Ah, I did not know that because I don't think it was really mentioned on TV. Yeah. Um. Because what was Finney? Because Phineas was Phineas I Godwin. So what was that? I named him Ike. Yes, <laughs> Ike Godwin. Okay. <laughs> Is that like a, is there something, is there a rude euphemism in there somewhere? No, just, uh, we needed a a Southern name and I I just thought Ike sounded all right. And uh, they wanted it to be with an I so he could, his initials would be pig. Yeah, clever stuff. Like it must've taken taken them a good while to come up with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Look, thank you again. And we will see you all next time. 